Right, hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Very festive one, I must add. Um, hosting as always, my name's Dan, and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening, Dan. And Cam. Good evening. Uh, well, gentlemen, it's not um, quite the, the the Merry Christmas that we were all hoping for this time last week. Um, I feel very sorry for you both that you live in the uh, invented new Tier 4 with its uh, new and improved COVID Um it's a shame that you can't head up north. Yeah, well, uh, we'll survive Christmas in London, Dan. It's not the first time I've done it, so um, I'll be okay. We've got all the football to keep us company, Dan, <laughs> so we'll be fine. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of one of the, the dreary games on Boxing Day, but I'm, a, I'm drawing a blank at the moment. Um, so we are the, the three wise men, or at least you two and me. Um, <laughs> we, we come bearing gifts of, of football talk for the weekend. Um I wanted to start really with the Sports Personality of the Year award. Um, obviously, it was won by Lewis Hamilton. Um, Jordan Henderson, who I I, I backed, at, I had two pound on at twenty five to one, had kind of come surging to to come very close to kind of cutting the gap with the bookies, but um, the the Liverpool Twitter family fell short of the target, and Hamilton was probably rightly made the Sports Personality of the Year. But um, what a wonderful year for Jordan Henderson. Um, captain of the champions and captain of the team to a Champions League the year before it and the World Club Championship just before it too. Um, I think the, the the real reason that I want to say that he was well in with the shout of the the award was actually the work he did in getting the players together to say, right, mm-hmm. we, we need to shut this man, Matt Hancock jabroni up and come up with something for the NHS and I think that he showed superb leadership in doing so. And an honourable men- mention to someone who's come up on this podcast a couple of times before, um, Marcus Rashford was given, a d- deservedly given, um, a lifetime achievement. Well, to be honest, he could have been the sports personality of the year. Uh, I'm sure the uh, the right honourable, no, the, the honourable gentleman, the member for Mansfield, would have voted against him. And um, quite a few people in the government as well, but... Um, both Jordan Henderson and Marcus Rashford deserve a lot of credit for doing a job that the country should be doing over this last 12 months. Yeah, and, and not only that, Dan, I believe Henderson was one of the more um, more influential captains across the Premier League when they first started having sort of captain-level meetings about about the restart and, and what safety procedures needed to be put in place for the players and what they could live with and what they couldn't live with and what needed to be mandatory and what needed to be optional. And then, as you say, the, the efforts as well in kind of, you know, putting together uh, moves from the players to kind, kind of try and support the NHS and, and other parts of the country that were struggling in the pandemic. I think... Um, he came out of it really well, Jordan Henderson, as somebody who who gets it beyond um, beyond football and, and and gets the sort of the challenges that society has has had and, and is still having. And and we've talked about Marcus Rashford before on this podcast, and there was a piece on the on the BBC. I think it was broadcast on Football Focus, but I I watched it on the website um, last week with with him and his mum talking about some of the some of the struggles that. Um, that she had when when Marcus was growing up and and not being able to put enough food on the table and 
the fact that she begged Manchester United's academy to take him into halls, uh, uh, into digs a year early, because she was convinced if they didn't, he'd, he'd start getting into trouble in, on the street. He was at that age, 10 or 11, where she felt there were going to be other influences in his life. So I think, you know, t- to see the way that he's drawn on those experiences to kind of support people who are who are struggling in these in these difficult times that we're all living in um he was thoroughly deserving of his award and and i think the the sort of sporting world and, and most of society recognizes the, the efforts he's made and and yeah jordan jordan henderson is a he, he's one of those kind of what i call new breed captains when i think about captains when when probably we were growing up they were roy Keane and patrick vieira and steven gerrard charging round everywhere and throwing themselves into every tackle and tony adams shaking his fist and steve bruce putting his head where he was going to get kicked in the face at least i think that's his excuse for the way he looks <laughs> um but but, but but you know the um i i think that was very much the perception of what a captain is and you look now being the captain of one of the top top football clubs in the country now is is about a lot more than charging into tackles and running around on a Saturday or Sunday or, or whatever. You need to be that kind of role model and that sort of leader, um, and in sort of the way that club reacts to to all the pressures that are on football now. And I think I thought Jordan Henderson has really exemplified that over the last twelve months. And you know, I think he came second in the in the end down to to Hamilton, and yes, he did, is yeah. very deserving of that recognition. Um, just, just before you come in, Cam, because um, I'm very. It, it's interesting that you should say that, Paul, because I, I am of the opinion, not because of what he's won, and not there is a better player because he isn't, but I actually think that Jordan Henderson is a better captain than Stephen Gerrard was for Liverpool. Um, Gerrard was a very much drag the team via the scruff of the net kind of captain. Henderson really is important to the way we play, he sets the impetus. But he is more of a leader of men. You know, if there's a bit of a set two on the pitch, Henderson is right there. He is straight on top of it saying, get away from my player. He's also um, very good at speaking to referees. You know, he knows when to time it right, when not to time it right, when to stay away. And as well, and he was doing this when Gerard was captain. He used to stand motivating the other players, going round to them when there was a breaking play. Like, I don't want to, to in any way, compare Jordan Henderson to, to Kevin Keegan, but he was doing the kind of, you know, like hand gestures around in a circle, not quite keep breathing levels, but, you know, just motivating and galvanising his fellow players. So I, I'm not surprised that Jordan Henderson has turned into a, a beyond the captain, really. He's a leader of men, not just a, a football captain. As, as you say, he was one of the, the leading figures. In the, uh, the the project restart captains as well, um, I'm very very proud of Jordan Anderson Khan. I'm sure you feel the same way about Marcus Rashford. Yeah, well, just just quickly on on Henderson, I think um, you know you both both covered some really good points there. So there's not not a lot to add, but I think um, you know it's interesting in the last couple of years, you know, Liverpool's rise and his sort of rise, if you like, have coincided. And I think the two are very closely linked. You know, it's like it's really become the making of him as a, as a player. I think he's, he was a player who, let's be honest, you used to get sort of ridiculed a little bit um, and was maybe thought of as a bit of a water carrier, you know, that sort of player. Um, and, you know, actually what we have seen is that almost a bit of a, a transformation and a stepping up, if you like. And I think he has sort of got... 
um, perhaps begrudging respect in some in, in in some cases from sort of you know fans of rival clubs. But I think people do recognise now that you know he is absolutely deserves his place in that team and as a you know more than worthy captain of of Liverpool as you've as you've said, Dan. So um, hence him being up for awards like this. And then when you add the off the pitch sort of leadership as well to it that you that you've covered well, it's it's not really surprises up there. Um, I, I saw just a few days ago as well. He's, you know, he's been sort of quite outspoken about things like rainbow laces. Um, I think there was some some stuff he posted on social media a week ago as well. And you know, he's not sort of hidden away from that side of it, knowing the kind of, you know, everyone knows the sort of backlash and trolling you can get on on Twitter and things like that are not not very pleasant. But he doesn't care about that. You know, he knows what's right. And I think it's really great to see someone who's you know got a really big public profile doing something like that. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll echo the sentiments for, that you've both said about about Henderson. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, Rashford, there's not, there's not much more to say, really. Just, he's, just a, he's just a great bloke who's, who's um, you know, really had a sort of tremendous year in really helping out others and, and you know, particularly, um, you know, sort of underprivileged children. Um, so, uh, you know, and he, he sort of galvanised the country in, in a lot of ways behind him. Um, again, it's brought out a few... A few trolls and a few people who who always try and do people down, as we seem to have sometimes in this in this country. But um, I think the overwhelming public recognise that you know he's he's been doing a, a great thing this year, um, and not for any personal you know gratification whatsoever. And he's done it in the most sort of humble way possible. Um, so it was great to see him have a you know a special recognition um, last night. You know at the uh, sports personality. So all all that can really be said again is is well done and thank you. Marcus Rashford. I don't think there's a huge amount to add um, at this point. Very well said, Cam. Um, yeah, it, it, again, someone who is beyond. I, I mean, I know he's not Manchester United's captain. He will be one day, but um, yeah, again, another leader of men. And mm, yeah, absolutely, nothing but respect for for him and all he's done this year, because he's done a damn sight more than some of the people who invited him to Mansfield High School. Um, High schools over the summer, only for that to blow up spectacularly in his face, without wanting to turn this into the politics podcast. <laughs> um, that's a, a bit of a rabbit hole that I would happily fall down, but our listeners might not want me to. Um, anything else that you want to, to add about the Sports Personality of the Year award? Um, I, I don't think anyone would argue with Liverpool being the um, the team of the, the, the year, and, and I, I don't think anyone would argue with Klopp being the, the coach of the year either. No, I, I think they're both right, Dan. And, and I think the important point that sort of Khan alluded to on Henderson is he was tailor-made to play Jurgen Klopp football. You know, Jurgen Klopp's midfield players need to be able to be 90 minutes bustling energy the whole game. And that almost comes before what they do on the ball and before anything else. They need to be able to go box to box to box to box for 90 minutes at full intensity. It's essential in, in, in a Jurgen Klopp team. And I think it's no surprise that Klopp's arrival at Liverpool has re- really coincided with Henderson hitting the peak of his career. I think what what Klopp has brought Henderson is that belief in himself. He, he he always had the ability, and Klopp has worked with him to say, "Look, you are a better player than you think you are." And he he was right. You know, like he's, he's he sets the tempo. When Jordan Henderson doesn't play, and you know, the the people who who mistakenly don't think he's good enough, or he's not very good, or whatever, these people who don't know what they're talking about, basically who don't watch football, but like to comment on it, like Jordan Henderson sets the the impetus for Liverpool 
if he doesn't play, <laughs> we don't have the same intensity. We don't have the same yeah, yeah, tempo. Absolutely. Um, that that intensity is it's a critical part of Klopp. It was always part of Jordan Henderson's game. I think you're right, Danny. It might just be a confidence thing that he's unlocked that's taken him onto that next level. Yeah, and um, long may that continue to be unlocked because not not only has he as he stepped up as a player, he stepped up as a captain, as a representative of the club. I I love Jordan Henderson. I I absolutely love him. And before we we, we just turn this into the Jordan Henderson podcast, we'll. Uh, We'll, we'll we'll move on. Um, the team who caught my eye this weekend were Leicester, who continue to be absolutely destructive on the road. I think they've only lost Anfield, um, but they they, they, can't, they they seem to struggle at home. But they they, they really um, they, I don't know whether Jose would describe them as the better team or not. But I, I don't think watching that game there was much doubt that they were um, <laughs> a very very. Unique tackle by Aurier just on half time give um, give them a penalty and they never looked back from there. They were pretty comfortable. I thought. I think Brendan Rodgers deserves a lot of praise for the way that they set up. So I, I didn't uh, I didn't see much of the game unfortunately, Dan. I did see the highlights. Um, I believe Spurs still had a few chances, and you know the other the other narrative is that Leicester took theirs and Spurs didn't. But I think uh, you know from seeing some of the uh, analysis post game. You know, it did look like it was a really, really professional performance from from Leicester, which you need to be against this uh, Spurs Mourinho side because um, they're a well drilled team who are obviously having a very good season themselves. Who a couple of weeks ago were supposed to be in a title race, who might not be now. But um, yeah, Leicester are they're they're a, they're a good team to watch as well, um, and they are dangerous. Um, you know, we sort of wondered at the start of the season, you know, is are they going to still be heavily reliant on Vardy? And they are to an extent, but, you know, you've seen players like Madison pitching in more, seems to be getting better each season. Um, and they just seem, yeah, generally everyone on the pitch seems to know what, what their job is. Um, and they seem to just be a really good, cohesive unit that a lot of the better teams are. And I think Rogers has to take, you know, certainly be given some credit for that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, like I was saying earlier, they, you know, we play them, uh, Man United play them on Boxing Day and, even though we're on a good run at the moment, definitely going to be a bit nervy going into that game. Hopefully it'll be a good game of football. Um, but uh, yeah, I have to give them a lot of credit because there's some, it's a funny, it's a funny season at the moment. And, you know, the last time when you think when Leicester won the league, it was also a funny season where, where none of the traditional big teams wanted to win it. They've got the slight problem this year that Liverpool seem to be clicking into gear now. So whether they'll be able to pull off another sort of miracle, like we saw a few years ago, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but, but equally, um, and, and of course, they had a very good start last year and then mm. sort of fell off towards the end. So I think the big thing that I'm sure Leicester fans will be asking is, can we sustain it you know, through and, and try and at least finish in the top four, um, which you'd feel perhaps on balance of this season and last season, they perhaps deserve because you know they, they have had some great results and performances. But it will all come down to, you know, it, it's still before Christmas, right? And nothing gets decided now. So... Um, it definitely one to watch, but cred- credit where it's due. They've they've had a great sort of almost first half of the season for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's right, Con. I think I think the, the question mark against Leicester is going to be: Can you sustain it for the full length of the season? They've been mightily impressive. They they are what they are away from home. At times they ride the luck. I think in the game they they came to the Emirates sort of at the start of Arsenal's bad run, if you like. And I think it was even the week after we won at Old Trafford, and uh, they rode the luck for an hour. 
Um, and then the last half hour when Arsenal had sort of punched themselves out, kind of passing it sideways along the edge of the Leicester box for uh, for 65 minutes. And, and Lacazette had missed a couple of really good chances. Uh, Leicester came into the game, grew into it and, and picked us off on the counter-attack. And, and that is who they are away from home. Um, there was a little bit of that again yesterday in terms of they let... I, I'll come on to Spurs in a minute, but I think there's an interesting point there with Spurs tactically, and and Leicester certainly sucked them in, and then and then had the penalty just before half time, and then from that point on, you just felt the game was set up for Leicester because what they want to do is suck you in and then break quickly and use Vardy's pace, and um, they're well set up. They they're an interesting mix of a, of a Brendan Rodgers team. If you think about Rodgers teams traditionally, you think of them much more as a sort of front foot from foot team and, and Leicester aren't quite that and I think he's adapted his style a little bit it might be why they aren't quite clicking on, on all cylinders at home but they're, they're doing very very well as they did at the start of last year and thoroughly deserve to be where they are in the league um, I think there is a bit of pressure this year though to sustain it because I think they got so many plaudits last year and I, I'd actually said quite quite a lot early on in the season. Not sure they'll sustain, not sure they'll sustain, not sure they'll sustain. And then they got to Christmas and I said, I, I think they've got a big enough gap now over, I think it was Manchester United and maybe Arsenal and Spurs at the time who were all sort of in that morass of teams that were in sort of sixth, seventh, eighth. Um, and I actually thought Leicester had got to the point where the gap was big enough. I think they had a nine, ten point gap over, over all three of those teams at one stage. Um, and they didn't manage to close it out from there. And, and that's going to be the pressure in the second half of the season. And I think they will feel that a little bit, given how last season ended. Um, the, the point that, that is there that always sustains is if Vardy were to get injured, who else is going to score a big number of goals for him? Um, and if they just had that one other striker, I don't know if they'll they'll look at it again in January. But if they just had someone else who you could think of as he will get the goals, then then they'd be probably not just on the fringes of a, a top four race or in a top four race. Um, you might even be talking about them as a team who can who can legitimately threaten to to repeat the the miracle season from a few years ago. So. Um, uh, huge credit to Rogers. Let's see how they finish because I think there is a bit of pressure on them uh, uh, and on Rogers this time to make sure that it sustains. Just on Tottenham, Dan, while we're on that that game, you know, Khan said a couple of weeks ago it was seven days ago we were talking about Tottenham being in a title race. Since then, they've, they've lost to Liverpool and lost to lost to Leicester. Um, I mean, I thought the game in midweek at Liverpool, I thought they could have been. It was a strange game. I thought they could have been three 0 down at half time and it wouldn't have flattered Liverpool. But then having got to half-time 1-1, I think Spurs will probably have come out of that game thinking, a bit disappointed to have lost that. Um, you know, I don't know if anyone hasn't seen the Tim Sherwood clip on, on Twitter um, of him saying just before Liverpool's corner to win it, there was no threat from Liverpool on corners. Um, but if you haven't, go and watch it. It's brilliant. It's classic Tim Sherwood. Aerial dominance, um, Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They've got a real dominancy in the air, whatever that means. Um, I think the word he was after was dominance. Uh, Tim's neither got a dominancy of football or the English language by um, by the sounds of it. Uh, but anyway, you know, obviously Liverpool found the winner late on in that game, which probably on the balance of the second half was a little harsh on Spurs. But over the 90 minutes, I thought was deserved, despite what, what Jose thought. Um, and then interestingly, yesterday, I thought once they were behind... 
and the pressure was on them to go and try and make the game, they just didn't look quite the same side. And I know they came back from 1-0 down at Anfield in midweek and leveled it up, but 1-0 down at Anfield, I think you're probably still as Tottenham saying, we'll take this until the last 20 minutes and we don't have to go chasing. We might get that, that breakaway, which is what they did and they, and they took advantage of it. When they're 1-0 down at home to Leicester at half-time, you could see there was a bit of a sort of, not panic, panic would be the wrong word, but a bit of a feeling at the start of the second half of the urgency in the way they were trying to play. Discomfort is how I would describe yeah, it. Yeah, they, they did look a bit uncomfortable, Dan. That's absolutely right. And I, I don't think it quite suits their game as much as being 1-0 up. You think of the, the game when, when Arsenal lost there in the derby a few weeks ago. Spurs scored an early goal, were able to just sit in, suck Arsenal's pressure up and, and, and break out and, and get the second. And... They're a different team when they're behind. I think probably with Leicester and Spurs, there's, there's quite a lot of similarity of the way that their ideal game plan goes. Um, and so the first goal in that game was always going to be big. And yeah, it, uh, look, I, I don't think it's a time to panic for Tottenham. I think it's a bit of a reality check, possibly. But but I, I don't think it's time to panic for them. They've still got quality players, as we all know, in the likes of Son and, and Harry Kane. Um, and I'm confident that Spurs will still be in the in the mix for top four. But it's it's you know great result for Leicester and and as we've said their their season goes from strength to strength. The the way the league tables changed over the last week is very strange. Everton have won one in seven just over a week ago and suddenly they're third. Yeah, exactly. I, I you know it, it is. It's it's exactly that, Dan. It's still very very tight, um, and I think that might be a little bit that that no fan impact that away games are maybe not the sort of terrors that they were at one time with, with no fans. It's, it's definitely interesting. Can I know just, you're not... Just a quick fact check. Ever, Everton are indeed not third. Yeah, it was what I was going to jump in and say. Thanks to our uh, extra goal haul, we're now ahead of them on goal difference. Just just to just to throw that in the mix. Good. For Everton are fourth. And, have they, and have they, dropped? I mean, they, were, they were second what? on Saturday night. And Spurs are fifth in a two-horse race. It's crazy. It's absolutely <laughs> crazy how, how quickly that's changed. Uh, Can yeah. I know you're not going to turn down an opportunity to talk about um, Mourinho, surely? Well, I mean, yeah. If if he went to to Tottenham uh, and and was successful there, it would obviously be a a bitter pill um, to swallow. So I'm 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 not complaining. Equally, I wouldn't have minded if there is the, a genuine title race of some sort, you know, this season, just because Mourinho winning the league with Spurs is still better than Liverpool winning it, just full stop. <laughs> uh, that was, there wasn't anything resembling a title race last season because Liverpool ran away with it. So, and United aren't going to be, I know we're currently third, but I don't, I don't see us really being in a, in a title race because um, we'll probably lose our next eight and be, you know, 15th or something by February. But um we I still think we've got issues with our consistency, even though we're on good form at the moment. But whether it's, you know, Spurs, Leicester, Chelsea, whoever it might be, it would be nice to see or even even Man City if they pull the socks off. Um it would be nice to see, you know, some competition around there just to make it a bit more interesting. Um so, you know, and like I say, Spurs will bounce back. They've had a rough week. Um it does feel longer than a week for them, but you're right, Paul. It is only it is only in the last two games. Um, but they've they've come against really critical teams and they've not quite um obviously they've they've, they've you know not delivered in either of them. Um but they'll I'm sure they'll dust themselves down and they'll and they'll be back because like you say, they do have do have some very good players there. Um so and it, but it is, it's a, it's such a strange those sort of top 
what is it kind of like eight positions or something like that they're just so interchangeable that on on even just in an afternoon you can you can jump up and down multiple places um depending on whether you you win or if you you know if you if you have a high scoring game or something like that so it just makes it trying to sort of predict any sort of uh, finishing positions at this stage, you know, like we were talking about with with Leicester a few minutes ago, it's incredibly difficult this season because it's just so topsy turvy. Um, but as I did sort of allude to, it does feel like Liverpool, after perhaps what might be considered a shaky start in inverted commas, it took you perhaps a little bit while to get going. Uh, but it does feel like Liverpool have just started. To, I know, I know the, the Fulham game wasn't that long ago, and you weren't at your best then. But it just feels like since then, um, you know, you sort of dispatched. Spurs comfortably, and obviously the game was uh, fairly light work. I think it's, I think is is not an unfair term, you know. Unfortunately for Palace, um, that almost got a bit embarrassing for them, and it, it does just feel like you sort of just coming into that Christmas season, like right, let's let's make sure we win the league again. And I'm not sure anyone quite has the depth of quality um, to, to to catch you, probably, which is a shame. But uh, to see some sort of title race or competition would be very welcome, even if it comes from Mourinho and Spurs. I, I want to say so to I'm that. very much of the, I'm very much of a view, Dan, that I'd love a title race as long as there's anyone other than Spurs in it. <laughs> <laughs> well um, if Man United are in a title race with Liverpool, I think Man United and Liverpool going for the title will be quite interesting to a neutral. Mm. Um, if uh, if it's Liverpool and Spurs, then I'll be dusting off my 1994 Liverpool goalie shirt, which I'm sure I've still got somewhere, <laughs> just for the sake of uh, of showing some support. Well, at, at the rate they're going, Burnley are going to be in a title race at this at, before too much longer. They're two 0 up on Wolves now. I, I just yeah, I, to... I, I mean that goal had been coming to me, Dan, watching the start of yeah, the second yeah. half. Wolves look a bit of a mess defensively. Well, it's weird because like I saw them myself a few weeks ago at Anfield. They're normally difficult to score goals against and they get good value for their goals. Yeah. We, we swatted them 4-0. They, they lost um, to Villa recently. and I mean, Villa are quite hot and cold, but they're quite high up the table. They beat yeah. Chelsea midweek and now they're getting, they're getting duffed up by Burnley. It's, it, it, when, when someone like Wolves who were consistent top top seven finishes are, are up and down you know you're in for a strange old season i think i think what you say is right dan they've been they've been a team the last couple of years who've got good um you know good uh, value for their goals because they've been solid at the back and, and difficult to break down um but from the moment i didn't see the first half from the moment that second half kicked off they've looked like an accident waiting to happen and, and you know it was a typical burnley goal again ball in the box couple of headers a volley in from 3 yards but um <laughs> you know it it's it it had been coming on the balance of the play so yeah it, one to watch cuz um I mean, I'm looking at this game, to be honest, and saying how have Arsenal managed to lose to both of these in the last few weeks, but that's beside the point. Um, we're not very good. Uh, the um, Yeah, Wolves look as though they're, they're not quite firing on all cylinders, but again, we made the comparison with Leicester last year. I think Wolves were similar, weren't they, before Christmas last year, didn't really get going, and then properly hit their stride in the new year, so another one to keep an eye on. Yeah, um, I, I'm a, a, a big fan of watching Wolves. I think they always look play good good football but they're, they're having a struggle and uh, Fabio Silva's getting ready to come he's been summoned by Nuno Holy Ghost so 
we'll uh, we'll keep you updated about how this game went on, even though you'll be listening to it after the match is finished. <laughs> Wasn't it the uh, yeah? We should make sure this doesn't turn into a running commentary. To be fair, because people would be like, "What? Which game is this?" But wasn't it a couple of weeks? Was it just a week or so ago? Down when we were we were doing this podcast, and, and Wolves were also the early game, and uh, didn't they come back? Was it against Chelsea? And they they came back and um, scored a couple. So um, yes, they did. Yeah, mid, mid, yeah. So they, they do week, have it. Yeah. They do have it in them. Yeah, to. Uh, to turn things around, so we'll, we'll wait and see. And speaking of clubs in the Midlands, um, the the managerial sat race is underway. Um, as as a, as a frequent theme on this podcast, the LMA mafia have uh, made the move on the West Brom job. Um, it's no no big surprise that Sam Allardyce has got that job. He as a, as a former West Brom player, and I, I believe he's from from that neck of the woods as well. Um, so him him turning up at the, the Hawthorns is not exactly unprecedented. Um, bit of a he's had more retirements and more more retirements and more comebacks than George Foreman though hasn't he at this point <laughs> well no comments about the possibility of the Sam Allardyce grill um, <laughs> but um, yeah it's not it's, it, he was the one that you thought they would summon um, but I feel a bit sorry for Slavin Bielic who he's not a Premier League manager That's that's been established before but um to sack someone after a very creditable one-all draw at Man City was a bit of a strange time to do it, I thought. It, it sounds like it was brewing before that, though. It felt like it was one of those didn't really matter what the result was. So I think the timing could have been better as a result of it. They probably didn't think that they'd get anything against City, so they probably thought it was safe. Um, but, um, yeah, I think you always feel sorry. I personally always feel a bit sorry for any manager who brings a team up who gets sacked, even if it is sort of justified based on the form on the Premier League. I always think it's harsh for, for any manager who's, who's brought a team up to repay them by uh, by sacking them. Um, but, you know, Allardyce is a sort of tried and tested, you know, safe safe pair of hands. It, it won't be, you know, West, West Brom are, are supposedly known as a, as a, you know, team that like to sort of play, play football, if you like. And Allardyce's teams are perhaps a bit more agricultural. Again, maybe they've made the decision thinking fans not in the ground. Um I don't know, I know what area, I don't know what tier, you know, West Brom now fall into. I presume they must be tier three now because everywhere is pretty much tier three. Um, so, you know, maybe they thought, well, we, if we can get him to come in and play a safer style that, you know, we keep it tighter at the back and means we stay up as a result, it's worth it in the long run and we won't have fans to be disgruntled, you know, sort of publicly in the ground. Uh, maybe that's part of the decision, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, equally, you know, you know, we know Sam, you know, Sam knows the Premier League well. He's kept teams up before. So from that perspective, at least, you know, when, when teams sack a manager and they clearly don't have a plan and then they appoint someone out of panic, that's when you have to worry. But it does feel like this was, like I say, a bit more of a premeditated move. They obviously had him lined up um, and got it sorted quickly. So at least sort of, I suppose, credit to them in that sense that they acted swiftly and they've installed someone and they've, they've got the, a bit of, feels like there's some thinking behind it at least, um, which is not always the case in, in sacking season. Yeah, I think as well. I mean, it's worked for West Brom before, hasn't it? They did it with Pulis, didn't they, last time they they came up and were trying to stay up in the league. They they brought TP in and he, he kept him up for a couple of years and um before that went sour. I, I think yeah, there's a similar argument here for, for what's happened with Allardyce. Um I do just I wonder a little bit if if and maybe this is completely unfair, but whether Sam's style is, is is going to be as effective in the Premier League as it is now and with no fans and and whether there's something about that kind of, you know, 
intimidation is the wrong word, but that that sort of the way Sam plays, it's about kind of making teams feel under pressure and whether it's harder to pull that off when, when there's empty stands, we'll, we'll see. It obviously didn't get off to a great start yesterday and, and Villa took him to the cleaners a little bit. But um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting the timing. I think for West Brom, the reason it had to happen, whether whether Billich won, lost or drew at, at City is they wanted to get Sammy and give him a couple of games to assess. Presumably, they will give him a little bit and it's never a lot, is it, these days in January, but they might give him 25 million quid to go and get a couple of uh, bodies in in January to see if he can, um, or, or a couple of loans in, at least something to, to try and keep them up. Uh, they will need some players. I think as it is that their squad isn't good enough to survive. Um, I, I do feel for Billich for the reasons Khan said. To be honest, I thought it was a strange appointment when they made it, when they'd just gone down, and they and they appointed then they they appointed Darren Moore, didn't they? I think, and then and then got rid of him and brought Billich in. And yeah, I I didn't think it was the most obvious move at the time, and. Um, it's it's a shame for him that it's it's not worked out. But as Dan said, he's he's probably had his chances now in the Premier League, and um, you know had a good year for the first season at, at West Ham. But since then, has not really demonstrated much of an aptitude. Yeah, um, he 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 looked done done at the Premier League to me. But you 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 never know. He just needs to join the LMA, and he'll be fine. I'm sure. <laughs> um. Um, does he own a headset? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, whether he does or he doesn't, he'll be sat next to Tim Sherwood on Soccer Saturday next week. Yeah. I'm sure. I, I, I assume, yeah, maybe maybe Tony Pulis has posted his to him, and he can. He'll be on. Uh, <laughs> he'll be on Boxing Day Soccer Saturday. Uh, before you know it. Well, I'm sure Sam's still got. Well, he did have it on yesterday. Actually, I did notice. Um, yeah. That's true. He pioneered the head the headset. I think. Yeah, Sky nicked it off Sam. <laughs> I, I did. Um, sorry, Paul. Come on. I was going. No, I was. I was going to say. I think. I think we were. We were going to try and touch on Watford, weren't we, Dan? As part of the uh, the part of the same conversation. Yeah. Um, it, it's. It, it's a really joke. Gone, on... in, in, in fairness to Watford, and we can say what we like about their approach to managers, um, but Watford haven't gone the Alame route. No, they haven't. They've gone the um, Dynamo Tbilisi route, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, it's Cisco, who I, I confess I don't know a huge amount about, um, but uh, they they do tend to go for the the unexpected um, more often than not. And uh, I didn't know much about Vladimir Ivic either, who was the the previous um, incumbent. So uh, it's it's probably you know doesn't make any difference one way or the other whether I've heard of him. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll repeat I'll repeat what I've said uh, before about managers uh, clubs in the championship consistently going for foreign managers. I, I don't think it's a, a great development, and I don't I don't think it's great that the Premier League's become so dependent on foreign managers. I I think it was better when there was a bit more of a balance. Um, but I certainly don't think it's great when the championship does it because if you're a and I, I believe me, I am in no rush to lose him the job he's doing at the moment. But if you're David Artal, who's done an incredible job at Crew in the in the nearly four years, I think he's one of the longest serving managers now in the Football League. And we appointed him January 17. He's taken the club from 18th in League Two to I think we're currently sitting ninth in League One. 
without spending a penny. If you're David Ortal and you have an ambition to move higher up the football pyramid, where is the where is the opportunity for you when the clubs in the championship all want to go and get you know, and I don't I don't want to quote Sam Allardyce, but all want to go and get someone with a fancy foreign name. Um so I think it is a shame that Watford have yet again gone down that route. Um and it was interesting, wasn't it, when their Premier League status was on the line last year, they went and got Nigel Pearson, who doesn't fit that profile. So, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, look, uh, he may do well for Watford. Um, they've still, obviously, they're, they're in the top five, top six in the league. They, they've still got a very good chance of, at the worst, being in the playoffs. Um, we'll have to wait and see how he comes in and does. But I do think, Dan, it, it's a shame that, um, so many of the jobs now at that level aren't giving the opportunities to to young, talented British coaches who've done well lower down. I mean, we had the Cowley brothers at, at Huddersfield last year and then they sacked them and moved on. So uh, th- there's a lot there that I I, I feel for, for young British coaches because I just don't know where their opportunity is going to come from. Well, they just need to join the LMA club. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's but but even the LMA club. I mean, the LMA club protects the same old faces. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't protect the up and coming. You know, uh, uh, Tony Pulis was a manager of Gillingham and the manager of Bristol Rovers and the man or Bristol City, I think. Sorry, um, Tony. Uh, and before he got the Stoke job, I think he was at Plymouth as well, wasn't he? So Tony Pulis had to work his way up. Sam Allardyce was at, um, at, I think he was at Plymouth for a bit, and he was definitely at Notts County, and he was at Blackpool before he got the Bolton job, and he, he got them into the Premier League. You know, where are the next Sam Allardyce's and Tony Pulis's of the world coming from? And I'm not a particular fan of either of their styles. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> but where are the next <laughs> British managers who are going to work their way up the system? Where, where do they step from? When they're doing a really good job in League One and League Two, like Allardyce and Pulis were twenty years ago, where's the next place for them to go? And that's that's what I think I find frustrating about about the situation. Well, you'd be mad to go to Watford anyway because you'll just you'll just <laughs> get you just get sacked <laughs> after four months. <laughs> Have you got anything you want to pop, true. pop in with, Cam? Uh, no, I think I think well covered. I think it is, you know, it's a point you've made before, Paul, and, and you know, you make it very well about the uh, yeah the sort of pathway up the up the ladder for for managers, and, and you're right, it does seem like it's getting increasingly blocked, and you know, unless you start looking at, well, I don't know how there's a way to enforce it, you know, quotas and things like that, the clubs will never sign up to it, so it's it is very difficult. Um, whether there's a question there of, and I don't know. If this correlates to ownership, you know, does does foreign ownership link to, you know, can you trace it to that? But that's, you know, foreign owners tend to prefer going for foreign managers and there's an increasing foreign ownership now at, at all levels as well. Um, you know, I'd have to look, like I said, I don't know if there is a correlation, but just speculating there, um, that could be part of the reason perhaps because um, they obviously don't necessarily feel any need to, to care about, um, you know, British managers in particular. But um yeah, I, like I said, I don't know anything about the, the fellow they've appointed at um, Watford either. Again, seems surprising when a club is in a playoff position to start the manager, but football is bonkers and I've stopped pretending to understand it a long time ago. So I'll just sit here and talk about it each week <laughs> instead of trying to understand it. So uh, yeah, no more no more to add um, on that one, Dan. Well, what, one thing I'd like to know is um, what is this guy's links to Granada or Rudinese? Because there's got to be one. Well, yeah. Well, well, they normally go that route, don't they? They normally go somebody that they know 
um, from a previous uh, previous global or previous experience. So it, it would be interesting to find out. Um, I, I can't immediately um, see any any link in his kind of career history that would indicate that he's been at e- either of them clubs. I think, you know, as you say, he's come from Dinamo Tbilisi. Um, he was a gymnastic in in Spain before that, but I can't see an immediate link to the ownership group. Um, but it might be that there is one there personally, potentially behind the behind the scenes. Um, and look, I don't I don't wish him any ill. I don't wish Watford any ill. I, I'm no particular beef with with Watford. If if they come back up, fine. You know, they're a, a nice club. But um, I, I like I say, it's, it's sort of the broader point for me. And uh, we'll have to wait and see whether. Whether at some point that rebalances, but I think I think it might be right about the foreign ownership. That's that's got a part to play. Um, certainly, uh, you, you make the point of um, you know, like I can't talk. Sorry, newly promoted clubs changing the manager. Like I, I would say, look at how well Daniel Farker's doing at Norwich this season. They're coming straight back up by the looks of it. They they look like they're going to come up by ten, fifteen points to spur. Um, uh, exactly right, Dan, and, and even to a lesser extent, I know obviously Bournemouth, uh, Eddie stepped down, but they appointed Jason Tindall, who'd been there a long time as his number two, um, and kept that continuity, and, and someone who knew the club, and look at and look at where Norwich and Bournemouth are in the in the league, uh, compared to the sort of Watford um, approach of every time someone loses three games, get rid of them. Uh, at the moment, that sort of continuity approach seems to have worked, doesn't it, for, for both Norwich and Bournemouth? Yeah, both, both looking good for promotion. And uh, obviously, Bournemouth have um, found a way to unlock the potential of the Dominator. Um, Dom, Dominic Solanke's having a, a good good spell. And you know what? I'm, I'm genuinely very happy for him. Yeah, so am I, because he's, he's been a kid that's been talked up with a lot of potential for a while without it ever really clicking. Um I would say maybe the potential's been unlocked by the fact that he's playing in the championship. But at the same time, I said that once upon a time um, when Andy Carroll got in the Newcastle team when they had been relegated. uh, And that was his sort of regular path into the first team. He'd been a very much a substitute in the Premier League. Although I did actually see him score his first Newcastle goal in the flesh um, in a Premier League game against West Ham. But but he really broke in properly as a as a Championship player. And then he came back up, and that first season back in the in the Premier League, he, he was he was ripping it up and got himself a move to Liverpool. So um, you know, it may be that Solanke was one of them players who just needed to take a step down to you know one step back to take two forward um, and. Uh, as you say, it's, it's nice to see him getting some goals and um, it'll be interesting to see if if Bournemouth do come back up, is he able to convert that into success at the top flight? I think Dominic Solanke's played ball games and Andy Carroll has in his entire career now, hasn't he? <laughs> Must be close. Real shame that because I, I, I was a big Andy Carroll fan. Um, it's just a shame that the, the, the guy was never fit and you, you, just can't, you just can't have that at this level. Not with the amount of money that we, I mean, we, we, how we managed to get as much out of West Ham for him as we did is uh, something that only Sam Allardyce will be able to tell you. Um, something else I wanted to to bring up a, a topic that comes up often on this podcast. What's this bizarre compromise where we're, we're not going to have five subs, but you can now have a bench of nine, so you can have your Champions League squad on the bench basically, because that's what it might as well be. You know, like, like for a Champions League final, the entire squad is on the bench. 
You know, but yeah, I, I don't. I, I think. I think this was something that the Premier League managers were pushing for before COVID extended benches um, and the same number of subs in the league as you can have in Europe. It, it was something that was already on the on the, the big club's agenda to try and get substitutes, uh, substitute benches extended to nine. Um, I remember when the, the call was that five subs wasn't enough and we must have seven and that was somehow going to be the panacea. And now seven's not enough and we must have nine. And and so I think this is kind of a bit of a, of a long-term aim anyway, albeit it has, as you say, Dan, been, been used as a bit of a compromise position on the subs. Um, I suppose the logic would be, well, if you, know, you want to rotate players, if you've got nine substitutes, you can choose more. More, um, you can, you know, you can you can bring three on one game, and then a completely different three can can be your your, your people you bring on the next game. It isn't what um, the clubs that want the five subs wanted, though. And it, it, you're right; it doesn't make the same difference in terms of, um, you know, keeping players fresh and reducing the minutes they're going to play. At the same time, I, I think the five subs thing is dead. It was a ten ten draw, I believe, in the in the vote last week on the five substitutes. And it, you know, I've said it before: for Burnley and West Brom and Sheffield United, maybe Arsenal at the moment, um, voting for five substitutions a game is probably like voting, you know, Turkey's voting for Christmas. I just don't think it's going to happen. No, not not a great deal. I think just on the the, the nine, you know, the nine man bench thing. I think it. I suppose it sort of helps in that the team essentially has almost a, res- you know, close enough to a reserve 11 on the bench. So for, you know, we know that there are sort of these, you know, muscle injuries happening sporadically across, across the team. So I suppose at least it means that managers have almost guaranteed cover regardless of whoever might get injured um, or if someone's looking, you know, a bit knackered or whatever. So I, I can see it's sort of helping to that degree. It does feel like a bit of a, a general compromise. Um, I wasn't aware it was being pushed for um, before COVID, although it doesn't surprise me because most of the big clubs just want more of everything they can think of. So <laughs> it's not, not a huge shock. Um, but yeah, it doesn't doesn't quite hit at the heart of the issue of, you know, the kind of too much football, which we've, we've covered anyway. Um, but it, it perhaps does just give them a, you know, a little bit more flexibility. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I, I didn't know it was being talked about either. So yeah, um, that's news to me, and again, I, I don't see kind of kind of what difference it makes. But then again, I've been championing get your kids on the bench. Let's have a look at your best kids, see if they're any good, see if this makes them. And they're supposed it, it does have an opportunity for you to add maybe your 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 best your best kids. Say like let's have him on the bench, and if we're three 0 up with fifteen minutes to go, let's take a look at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, makes a diff- it makes a difference for clubs like Liverpool and Manchester United who are six and seven goals up uh, in games where they can have a look at kids. Probably to everybody else who's playing, um, who's playing one nils and two ones, it, it it won't give kids a huge, a huge extra chance. But but yeah, look, I think it's it's a bit of a compromise. I I think the issue though on the on the five substitutions, at least for this season, is probably dead. I think it's one that ultimately football's governing bodies will need to take a longer term view about is this something they want to go for you know across the piece longer term if it is fine um then i think they need to announce that and give teams a kind of chance to acclimatize uh, for example burnley where we've got on the tv here might need to allow their manager to have more than 13 outfield players if he has to name nine subs um, every game well L- liverpool had um Adrian and Kelleher on the bench on on Saturday. 
Yeah, see, I miss the days when it was two subs or three subs, but one had to be a goalie. Because in that situation, we might have got to see Adrian come on and play centre forward, um, <laughs> or something like that. That that would have been a yeah. Uh, they were always fun games when yeah. you know you've used all your subs and you've got someone who's completely unsuitable, but he's your last substitute and he's got to come on. Well, the, that that sounds like um, like pure Van Hooydonk in the Premier League to me, Paul. <laughs> I was just I was just going to say you're probably pining for the days of Ian Warren and Steve Stone. Um, if you bring talking about the days of three subs, I I, I just I, I always associate Nottingham Forest with that like that mid, era, that mid Premier League, like the mid nineties Premier League era. Um, I find it bizarre because if you look at the Championship, it is kind of like a a gathering ground for for, for former Premier League teams. Yeah, there's a few in there, and there Forest and Derby and Coventry and QPR. who were all in that sort of mid to late nineties period. Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Sheffield Wednesday, yeah, yeah, there not is if, a few down there. Not if TP has his way. <laughs> no, they'll be in League One. <laughs> well, that's not where I was getting. I'll, 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 uh, I'll let you, you say that, Paul. Um, what are we thinking of? Anything else on the agenda? Do you think of um, anything else that's caught your eye this weekend? No, I, I think you know we've already actually mentioned Norwich, which was one of the things on my list, and I, I just think. Um, I think they won six in a row now. They're they're really really flying and, and getting good results and playing good football. And I think, as we've said, it's 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 an example of of continuity. Um, and and that was kind of the one that from the football league that that really kind of caught my eye over the weekend. I, I think in the in League Two that I, I am slightly interested that there's. I think Bradford sacked Stuart McCall for what feels like the 15th time <laughs> last week. Um, and I, I did wonder how long it'll be before Stuart McCall's back at, uh, at Bradford as manager again. I think he's had three full-time stints and a caretaker stint. Um, you would think that they might know he's not much good by now. <laughs> um, but they, they keep pointing him. So, yeah, that was one that caught my eye. They're obviously having a really difficult time, Bradford. They're near the bottom of League Two. I, I think, again, they're one of the clubs that's got, I mean, all clubs at that level have, but they're one of the clubs that's got a particularly difficult financial position at the moment. Um, and uh, again, you don't have to go too far back. Dan, talking of that area you were just uh, referring to, to, to see Bradford in the Premier League. And um, at the moment, they're not guaranteed to be in the Football League next season. No, it's a, it's a bit of a fall from from grace that I I was kind of um, going to bring uh, as as I regularly do. Um, Bolton seems to have cracked it away from home in League Two, but they can't win at home um, since they beat um, Little Manchester United, which is Salford. For if you you weren't sure of that, um, they, they beat them on TV one Friday night, and I think it was November. Since then, there's not been um, a, a lick of a home win for Bolton. No, it's an interesting league again, that League 2 table. Uh, you look at it, I think Bolton are 15th on 25 points, but they're only six away from fifth. Um, so, you know, uh, if a team can put a run together over this Christmas period, when games come thick and fast, Christmas and New Year, uh, especially in League 2, where they're kind of most of them out of the FA Cup, and so they still have full fixture lists on FA Cup weekends. There's there's a real opportunity for a team to, to make a break and, and get themselves into the playoff picture. And as you say, if Bolton could sort the home form out, they'd potentially be one of the candidates you'd be looking at because they 
they do have some talent in that squad that certainly at that level, at that League Two level, is is capable of putting them in a better position than they've been so far. Um, but the most important thing for Bolton was just to have a, a season of a bit of stability that didn't feel completely crazy, given given what the last couple of years have been like. Well, I had to laugh. Like manager Ian Everts' new job title was manager um, because they got rid of the director of football position. Uh, so I don't know what his job title was before, but um, he's now the, the the manager of Bolton Wanderers. Now wishes to be known as the manager of Bolton Wanderers. And again, that's a modern football thing, isn't it, Dan? About about giving people silly titles. <laughs> Khan, have you got anything? Uh, no, not really. I think just just looking ahead, we we joke about all the football all the time. But actually, I was having a look, and from from Boxing Day Saturday through to next Friday, it's only the Thursday. There aren't any games, so there's almost a clean sweep where there's a full week of uh, Premier League games every night, but not not quite. Um, so yeah, there really is a week of all the football all the time coming up, which I'm sure we're all delighted about. Well, it it, it will genuinely, I'm sure, be be uh, handy for for you two gentlemen, given that you've been uh, effectively cut off from the rest of the country. Yeah, well, like we said when when we talked about, you know, will games go back to, you know, uh, like we said last week around when a, when a game's going to go to so being on at the same time, and like I said, for for some people, and maybe I'll be now be one of them. <laughs> there isn't there isn't loads else to do. Um, so uh, it, at least, yeah, at least it's providing that uh, that distraction and, and gives us something to talk about once a week. So, so there is that. <laughs> I'm sure. You're... And, and there are some there are some attractive looking fixtures, aren't there? Certainly, mm. you know, Boxing Day, Arsenal and Chelsea, and, and Leicester and Man United, as as Khan's already yeah. touched on. Uh, you know, they games that immediately draw the eye. Uh, um, you know, Wolves and Spurs potentially on on the Sunday nights got potential to be a really good game, and and then into the in the into the sort of the next round of fixtures, as it were. I think Everton and Man City on on the Monday evenings got got a, you know a good look to it as well. So there's there's going to be some good games. There'll be some good matchups, and hopefully for those people who you know can't spend as much time playing board games with the family as they might do over Christmas in a normal year. Hopefully the uh, the football can keep them entertained. If not, there's always the darts. Yes, the dart the darts is on, yeah. Um Well I don't know, I've kind of lost my luster for the darts since Phil Taylor retired. I've had no one to hate. <laughs> so I've kind of just enjoyed the darts of what it is instead of having a, a vested interest in the power not winning. For, for- for, for those who, who don't know Dan as, as well as I do, that's a typical Dan Thomas statement in that the uh, the 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 luster has not gone off because the person he really likes has stopped playing. <laughs> the luster's gone off because the person he really doesn't like has stopped playing. <laughs> Pretty much. The, the, the thing with darts is I like everybody apart from Phil Taylor. And I'm not saying it's a stalk thing, but I think Andy Lewis can be a bit of a tool as well. <laughs> well, there's plenty of darts players from Stoke Dam for you to hate. Um, it's the darts capital of the world. St. Helens isn't far off. Um, we, we've got um, Mike Smith, Steve Bunting, Alan Tabern. Yeah. I think that at one point the World Championship was, be- before the split, I think the World Championship used to be played in Stoke in uh, a nightclub in Longton. Um, which will mean something to Khan, but probably probably not much to you, uh, Dan. I mean, it probably means to Khan the shock that there was once a nightclub in Longton, but there was. 
and um, he used to play the darts there. So, so yeah, uh, different times. We don't have nightclubs in St. Helens. We have working men's clubs. Yeah, yeah, which is which is nightclubs with cheap beer and older people. <laughs> yeah, a mild on tap. Yeah, that's my kind of place, Dan. And <laughs> mine, it's just a shame it's all been shut for the last nine months. Um, it's um, the 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 end of the show. We've we've run out of things to talk about, but um, as as Paul and, and kind of alluded to, we'll be continuing um, the podcast over the next next week because, um, frankly, not all of us have got anything much better to do. Um, we all have. Sky Sports, we all have BT, we all have Amazon, therefore we have access to all of the football all the time. It's live, the football never stops. And I am currently watching the Titans of Burnley against the irresistible force of Wolverhampton. Not that there's been much forceful or irresistible about Wolves, to be perfectly honest. They've been pretty poor tonight. Um, just Actually, one, one, one point I was going to ask, Dan, is are, are we saying... Uh... Say you know business as usual. Then say say you know, given we have all the football all the time, are we are we just going to do same time next week? Uh, See, it sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, what the? Um, I mean, I, I can't promise that I'm not going to have like grown, like doubled in size because of the amount of cheese I've got in the fridge. Um, tis, tis the season to eat black bomber until I explode. Um, <laughs> some some powerful cheddar that. Um, so I just want to wish all our listeners um, a Merry Christmas and I won't say Happy New Year just yet because we've got a week to go Um, we are available on um, Spotify Podbean uh, work very hard to get on iTunes um, and you can even you can even ask your Alexa to um, to to play the, the, the Big Football Podcast whether or not that will match your Amazon music collection. I don't know. I mean, certainly it's a bit of a come down from me from listening to the best of Blondie and Debbie Harry's dulcet tones to listening to me waffle on about football when I've been testing it. But, um, yeah, that's the, uh, the choices available to you. Um, I'd also like to point out to you all that, um, the big football podcast now has its, um, own Twitter page, which you can find at, at, at big football pod. Uh, I've also opened up a Facebook page, and I know that's neither here nor there to, to, to you two, because, Paul, you don't do social media at all, and, and Karen, you've long since removed yourself from the uh, the tendrils of Facebook. Um, but, yeah, we have a, a Facebook page with 50 likes so far. Um, I'm going to be running a little bit of a promotional campaign over the next few days on Facebook as well, see if we can't get some, some Christmas traffic. So yeah, and, and just just to repeat, Dan, and we wish everybody a, a, a merry Christmas and enjoy whatever football you're you're watching in the in the next few days. It'll be be a shame for those fans who would normally make going to a game on Boxing Day part of their kind of Christmas traditions. But um, you know, uh, I hope everybody does enjoy the football and and has a a restful and and peaceful Christmas time. Here, here. I'm actually very happy for one of my friends. Um, he's been in the ballot for the last two games and, and not been successful. He, he got his ticket for the West Brom game. Um, so I'm, I'm very pleased about that. And if Liverpool stays in, in Tier 2, which I, I don't foresee, I, I don't foresee anywhere being Tier 2 for too much longer, to be honest, uh, I think I might be eligible to apply for the um, the Manchester United game, which is our next home game after West Brom on the 27th. So that would be... Uh, 
interesting. Be a good one to get. It would, yeah. Um, I don't fancy playing Manchester United at the moment because they're playing really well. Again, that that game was a bit crazy yesterday, wasn't it? The the, the Leeds game. Le- Leeds were so naive and yet compelling. Yeah, I mean that seems to be the, a good good summary of how they play generally, and and obviously sometimes it it, it works um, because of the quality of the opposition. But um, yeah, they came up against a team that were seemingly well prepared and and fired up. So it's nice to see us actually scoring the first goal in a game because um, that doesn't happen very often. So uh, yeah, it's it's nice to see everything clicking and looking at the, the team and thinking, oh yeah, actually not a bad bunch of players these. Because when they turn it on, um, they can look really good. Um, the question has always been consistency, but yeah, Leeds are you know uh, even though obviously they're a big rival of us, I think a lot of people have kind of wanted Leeds back in the Premier League for for a while. They're one of those teams that you feel they should be there, and you know the, the, this current team, if they were ever going to come off. I think this was the team probably everyone wanted. So they've sort of, although it's taken a lot longer than Leeds fans would have liked, it's good to have this iteration of Leeds in the Premier League because um, they are fascinating. Um, but yeah, also very delighted that we beat them. <laughs> it always helps when you turn them up after 15 seconds. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Um, so a Merry Christmas to you all, apart from Tim Sherwood. Um, that that Gilles will be out on Boxing Day first thing on Soccer Saturday. And yeah, Merry Christmas to you all and we will catch you again next week.